and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm so excited that you're joining us today. We are going to have a fascinating conversation, as usual, as we learn from people all around the world at all ages and stages of life. Stay tuned as we shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort. Hi, everyone. This is Lori LeBay with Alzheimer's Speaks, and I am thrilled that you will be joining us today. We're going to have a really interesting conversation because we're going to be talking about getting diagnosed uh, with a form of dementia. I know it's a struggle for so many, and they say it takes years, uh, which is kind of the average to actually get a diagnosis. And we're going to learn about discern, which is a, a new test. Uh, that will hopefully speed that process up for not only Alzheimer's, but other forms of dementia as well. But before I introduce you to our guest, I always want to give a couple of shout outs. Um, one, I do a memory cafe that's virtual, which is sponsored by Arthur's Senior Care. We do that the second and fourth Wednesday of each month. Anyone around the world is welcome to join us. We have somebody in Belgium, in Florida, in New Jersey, the majority of us are here in Minnesota. Uh, just reach out to me and I will get you that link. Also, if you are in Minnesota, in the Twin Cities area, on the last Wednesday of each month at 10 o'clock um, Central Time to 1130, we do a Caregiver Connect program out of the Shoreview Community Center. And I facilitate the group with the care partners and then there is respite for their loved ones as well. And I don't think I mentioned for the virtual one that we do uh, second and fourth Wednesday, uh, one to roughly 2.33 o'clock central time. And again, that one's virtual. What else do I want to tell you? Oh, please go to our, our main website, alzheimerspeaks.com. We have one whole tab that is just loaded with free educational resources. So if you're looking to find out about dementia-friendly communities, how to start a memory cafe, uh, maybe you want to be a guest on the show. Maybe you have a poem you want to submit to us. Um, you, maybe you want to participate in our Dementia in the Arts or Dementia Chats. Again, just reach out to me. There's also some tools and things that you can download. And also you can find out about our book, Betty the Bald Chicken, Lessons in How to Care, which was written as a children's book, but really we use it in all different elements. So um, I've done it with support groups. I've done it with uh, large venues as keynotes, but it just gets us having a conversation about how we care and very kind of disarming and innocent and profound uh, is what we're told. So all ages can really get value out of this. And then last, I want to mention Dementia Map. That's our global resource directory. Please check that out as well. That's just DementiaMap.com. So I think that's it for my housekeeping. Let's introduce our guest. Frank, I'm really excited to have you on the show with us today. One of people's biggest complaints that I hear is, you know, I've been misdiagnosed or I haven't been diagnosed. I know my family went through that with my own mom. 10 years, it took 10 years for her to get a diagnosis. And it was really a frustrating process. So before we dive into our questions, I would like to ask you to introduce yourself uh, to our audience, and then we'll, we'll get on track and learn more about DISCERN and your company. Great. Well, uh, Lori, thank you very much. My name is Frank Amato. I am currently the CEO and president for Synapse DX. We are a diagnostics company in the North Bethesda, Maryland area with a three biomarker or assay test for diagnosing Alzheimer's disease. Once a physician diagnoses dementia, to your point, they have a very difficult time in diagnosing or trying to figure out what is causing that dementia. Uh, and that's where we help out. In about 65% of the cases, Alzheimer's disease is the culprit for that dementia. Um, so we can tell the doctor definitively, even 
early in the disease state, whether or not that patient who they've diagnosed with dementia has Alzheimer's disease or not. And if it's not, um, then the physician can go and try to find what the other causes of the, of the dementia might be. In some cases, it might be as simple as Lyme's disease or vitamin B12 deficiency. And in those cases, uh, the physician can intervene and hopefully help that patient tremendously with their, with their cog- cognitive disabilities and, and some of the, of the cognitive decline that they're experiencing. So with your tests, can you tell like if it's Lewy bodies or vascular or frontal temporal lobe as well? No, we, we have studied our test against uh, autopsy validation. So every one of the skin, so we take a small three millimeter skin punch biopsy from the upper inner forearm and that's sent to our lab. It requires a bandaid afterward. It's almost like giving blood. It's a very small piece of skin. Um, and then the, um, physician sends that to our lab and from that, um, skin sample, we can tell whether that patient's dementia is caused by Alzheimer's or if it's non-Alzheimer's disease dementia, we can't tell what the other dementia is. That's for the physician to go and run tests and try to figure out what, what might be causing the dementia if it's not Alzheimer's. Gotcha. Okay. I just wasn't sure um, on that. So thanks for the clarification, but it definitely, um, you know, helps push it in the right direction uh, with that. You know, now one of the things that I I typically start out and I didn't with you, but I want to throw it in here now uh, before, before I forget um, is I always like to ask all my guests if they have been personally touched by dementia in their own family or circle of friends. I always find that interesting. Yes, I, 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 you know, there aren't too many people I know that haven't been touched. It's just such a uh, terrible disease, number one. Number two, it's just, you know, there are 33 million people on the planet right now that, that, that apparently have an Alzheimer's disease diagnosis or have Alzheimer's disease. And that number could double or triple in the next, you know, couple of decades here. So, um, yes, in my case, I had a very close aunt uh, who um you know experienced the disease and was it was just a terrible terrible decline in her personality her memory and ultimately she ended up in in a nursing home and we were just devastated as a family over it okay i had a i had a great aunt um my my mom's mom and then my my mom um though we still were never quite sure if my grandma actually had it or or not uh, my mom said she did, but no one else knew that. We all thought it was the um, the morphine from the cancer uh, that she was dealing with at the time. But like you said, it's very unusual for people not to not to be touched. So what what got you involved with Synapse uh, DX? What was there was there something that that pulled you in? And I should ask if you if you started this, if you're one of the founders or if you are, you know, CEO and president and, and kind of hired on board for this all. Yeah. So I worked for the last 30 years or so in pharmaceuticals, biotech companies, most recently a medical device company that I took public on the NASDAQ. And then I took a little time off after, after that last venture and as I thought about, you know, what, where am I going to spend the next 10 years of my career? The one area in the past 30 years where we've made little headway in a disease state, I've worked in cancer, I've worked in HIV, I've worked in hepatitis C, you know, devastating diseases where we have found treatments um, to cure people in some cases, or at least, um, you know, knock their disease down to a level where they're, they're otherwise uh, would be cured, if not cured, HIV as the example, uh, in some cases, oncology or cancer. And the one area that I kept coming back to in that time that I, that I had taken was neurodegeneration. We have made no headway in the 30 years that I've, I've done this. I think, you know, back when I was young in my pharmaceutical career, we launched Aricept, one of the drugs that have been prescribed to millions and millions of people for Alzheimer's disease. 
Um, and I think we launched that drug 25 years ago. And until the advent of Adelhelm or, or Dupinumab or Lakembi recently, there, have, there has not been another FDA-cleared or FDA-approved product in the Alzheimer's disease space. So when I decided to come back into the industry, I was looking for really unique science that I thought would be potentially a game changer in the field of Alzheimer's disease. And that's how I ended up at Synapse DX. I am not one of the founders of the company. I joined soon after the founder licensed the intellectual property out of West Virginia University for these three biomarkers. Um, and I work, obviously, on the diagnostic side of this, of this company. There is a, a company that was born out of this early science, the translational science, that is also a therapeutics company. And that is, uh, has no f- affiliation to us. Um, but they are um, developing an Alzheimer's disease drug. Um, and just to take a step back on that, it was, well, I don't know, maybe about two decades worth of work at the NIH uh, in animal models uh, to try to figure out what makes memory that started this, uh, started the science. And then the, the, the scientific founder for the Rockefeller Neuroscience Institute, Dan Alcon, it was his work at the NIH. He was plucked out of there by Jay Rockefeller, the, the senator, U.S. senator for West Virginia, whose mother, Blanchett, died from Alzheimer's disease. And he decided to fund the Rockefeller Neuroscience Institute. And Dan became his scientific director. And Dan took the science over there. And that's where he developed these biomarkers that we are currently commercializing as the, the discern test uh, and also some of that work where Dan is now the president of a company called Synaptogenics, where they're developing in phase two an Alzheimer's disease drug. Okay. Did you say snappy tax? Um, synaptogenics is the name oh, of the synaptogenics. company. Synaptogenics. Okay. I was going to go. So, it sounded like something pretty hip. <laughs> That's why I was, I was clarifying. Okay. Wonderful. Well, thank you for that, that clarification. I'm interested in how discern actually works. Is it, you know, is it a blood test that is done on people or how does, you know, and how invasive is it to, to be able to figure this out? Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel. Straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. Hey everybody, Jared Sebastian, host of Retire Repurposed. This podcast is dedicated to help people transition into fulfilling and purposeful retirements. Retirement is a big life change. In fact, the two most dangerous years of a person's life are the year they were born and the year they retire. Few people could just flip the switch from working a career 30 or 40 plus years retiring on Friday without methodical steps to living what we call a repurposed retirement. To listen now, search Retire Repurpose on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio. Sure. So we take a very small three millimeter skin punch biopsy off the upper inner forearm of a patient, that skin gets sent to our lab. After the physician completes that work, they put a Band-Aid over it, just like if you were to give blood. And then um, what ends up happening is that sample gets sent to our laboratory. We take that sample, and then we cell culture it until we get to a fibroblast, which is kind of the the basis of a skin sample. And that basis is then... Um, screened against our three assays. We have a, an imaging assay. We look at how the cells grow on a matrix called Matrigel. Uh, and there's a, a logarithmic measure that we have that can tell whether a patient has Alzheimer's disease or non-Alzheimer's disease dementia. And then we have two proteins that we measure. ERK1 and ERK2 is one of the two ratio proteins. And we also measure PKC epsilon, which PKC epsilon has been known in the literature for the past 25 years to be kind of the master switch or the driver 
of growing or losing synapses in the brain. And synapses are where the memories lie. So that's why people start to lose their memory when they get this terrible disease. So that's how our test works. We have the three different assays or biomarkers. We utilize them to, uh, to help the physician make a diagnosis of, of Alzheimer's. How long does it take for the process? Sure. It takes us about, uh, about eight to 10 weeks to process a skin sample. Interestingly, if you have Alzheimer's disease, your skin networks slower and doesn't aggregate well, much like the synapses in your brain. Um, so what we do is uh, we, we sell culture, which can take four to six weeks, and then we apply our biomarkers. The work on that takes about another two to four weeks, depending upon if we have to run all three biomarkers on the sample or not. And, um, and that's how long it takes. Typically, when a patient gets diagnosed and has to go through blood tests and MRIs and CT scans and PET scans and maybe even a lumbar puncture, um, it can take months before the physician has the sufficient information for them to make, even then, a subjective diagnosis of what the patient's um, problem is. So, you know, eight to 10 weeks, we have many doctors using our tests that find that that is a suitable time period for turnaround. And we have very little issue with, with, uh, with having our test available for currently treating physicians out there, be it uh, geriatricians or uh, primary care doctors, or in most cases, community-based neurologists. That's a really pretty speedy time because, I mean, just get an appointment for an MRI or a PET scan or, you know, it's like, and everything's layered and it's months out just to get an appointment for one of those things half the time. So it can take quite a while yeah. um, to get all that testing done. So yeah, eight to 10 weeks, that's like no sweat. Yeah. And I, and I think to your point, it takes about four and a half months to get an appointment with a neurologist. Yeah, I, I would say easy four and a half months and sometimes even more than that from what I've been hearing. So when the um, information comes back, you know, to to the doctor, then they pull them back in and do a consult then with the patient and, and review the findings. Is that typically how that works? That typically is how that works. They, they have the patient return and they discuss the results with the patient and then you know, any treatment interventions that they might consider um, or, you know, the fact that if it's not Alzheimer's, then they could consider, you know, doing, you know, other testing to try to figure out what's causing their dementia. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask was in terms of, you know, if it, if it is uh, Alzheimer's related dementia, um, then, you know, they can dive deeper into um, I guess if they're going to do medication or, you know, social connections, um, therapies and, and things like that. The one problem, and, and I don't know if you've seen this or heard, and, and maybe you don't care because you're kind of on the diagnosis side, is it seems like once somebody gets a diagnosis, there's not much the doctor does other than make another appointment and maybe give them a prescription. And you know, that's just not enough these days in terms of supporting families. Have you heard of more doctors actually getting involved in giving people real resources that are out there? Because 90% of them will say they didn't even get the Alzheimer's Association number here in the United States. And you just don't know where to go. I mean, I know I was there on the other side with my mom who lived with the disease for 30 years. And granted, we've made some movement, but not near, in, in my estimation, what we should be. Because there's a lot more resources out there than what the physicians seem to even know about, and even the neurologists. Yeah, I think that that's been part of the challenge up until recently. I know that, re you know, Lakembi has been a drug that was just approved by the FDA, and a lot of people are hoping to get access to that. It removes plaque from your brain, which is one of the causes of, of some of the problems that people have. I don't think it causes the, the, the disease, so to speak, but it is, it is a remnant or a, or a hallmark of the disease. So if you can remove that, it might help some people. 
Um, you know, equally, there are, I think, unique opportunities for people to look at things like the pointer and finger studies that were done with 10,000 people at Wake Forest University, where they were able to show that, you know, uh, mental exercises, physical exercise, and diet can help kind of slow down the cognitive decline. It's not going to stop it altogether, but it could slow it down. And I also think that it's probably wise for people to go through a cognitive assessment a couple times a year to see if they're actually declining or if they're staying stable. If you're declining precipitously, then that's indicative of Alzheimer's disease, whereas some of the other dementias, that's not that's not necessarily the case. So it could be it could be helpful for the patient to continue to kind of engage in the type of cognitive assessments that are out there. And those are covered by Medicare twice a year. Uh, so, you know, you can, even if the physician has to take the time or use one of their employees to take the time to help you through that assessment, um, they get paid for it and, and it's reimbursed. So I think, you know, at this point, those are kind of the, the opportunities, which I, I would agree are not great but they're better than where we were even five years ago. And I, I think the finger study is great, but again, people don't know it exists because you don't know what you don't know when you step into this puddle. And that's the, to me, that's one of the major problems. And, and going in and getting assessed twice a year, I think you're, I don't see that happening. People don't even like going in once a year. And the reason that they don't is they don't feel like they're getting anything out of their doctor to help them live with the disease. And so it might be paid for and it might be covered, but they don't find it for the most part being useful information. I mean, and I talk to people all over the world and the story is pretty much the same. And yet people want to get diagnosed. They want to know what's going on, you know, but they want support from what I see and what I hear. That's one of the biggest disconnects. And there's got to be a way to get to these doctors to educate them on what is possible because so many of them don't have a clue, you know, and there was that study that it showed a few years ago where 50% of the doctors weren't even telling their clients if they knew they had um, a dementia because they didn't know what to tell them. They didn't know how to help them. So I, I'm really looking for bridges in terms of how do we get to the doctors, because um, there are so many wonderful, great supports, many of them being social. And, uh, you know, I'm talking kind of from my own experience, my mom lived with dementia for 30 years, and was misdiagnosed the first 10 years told it was her hormones, and then, you know, lived another 20, um, though all the signs were there. And then upon autopsy, you know, she had Alzheimer's, Lewy body and Parkinson's. And it was a very frustrating process. That's what kind of got me, you know, Frank, into this space. I, I loved my job in real estate. I had no, uh, no outlook at all at moving. Um, but then as I talked more about it, people said, you got to step into this space. And so boom, here I, here I am. And I've been here since 2009, trying to help people learn about products, um, services, and tools like yours so that they can live better. And I think that this is a wonderful, wonderful tool if this can help speed up and, and, and just direct the diagnosis um, in terms of what to look for. So if it's not Alzheimer's, then like you said, they know they have to go down another path. But if it is, you know, people want more answers and they want more connection. Um, to, to be able to live better. And that's one of the things I think that we're, we're really missing out on. We see it with cancer where, you know, they've got the wigs and you go in, you know, for a mammogram or something and, you know, they've got the lavender to keep you calm. There's none of that stuff at all for dementia. They don't even have good signage to help people be directed in their own clinics and stuff. For me, there's a long ways uh, that we have to we have to go. And so much of this stuff is really simple um, to connect people to. But we're just, everybody's kind of siloed in, in doing their own little thing. In your business, if you ever decide that you want to help break that ground and educate physicians while you're educating them on your test about 
where they can find more resources. I, you know, I would love to talk to you because even on my own site, I have a ton of free educational resources that I've curated throughout the years. And we've created Dementia Map, which, you know, we'd love to have you guys listed in there too, because I think a lot of times you know, the doctors don't even know maybe a test like this is out there and their patient will bring it to them because we hear that a lot. I feel like I'm educating my doctor. Do you find that at all? We find that uh, every day. Yeah. That, you know, physicians are just, you know, they're, they're overwhelmed mm-hmm. with the magnitude of the disease. They're, they're many times ill-trained on how to you know, even diagnose dementia. Many of them are not even using the psychometric tools that are available to them to, to actually score a patient to see if they have dementia. They just ask a few questions. They don't probe a whole lot. They have a de minimis amount of time with the patient to begin with. And then on top of all that, um, up until recently, until our test, this has been a diagnosis of exclusion. Mm-hmm. You know, what we do know is that you might have dementia, but if if no other symptoms show up in the next five years, well, then we're even more sure it's dementia. But until that happens, I'm not really sure. There's about a 50-50 chance, the flip of a coin chance that a physician gets the diagnosis accurate in the early stages of a dementia diagnosis. It's really terrible. So I, I agree. And, and a lot of times this falls back on the family. The, the um, responsibility of, of taking care of the patient. And handling the patient falls on the on the on the family, and they're even less informed and less knowledgeable about the resources are than what a doctor would be. Exactly, and you know it's it, and it's it's frustrating and it's exhausting as a family member. And you know, for me, I'll, I'll just use my example. You know, my mom and dad, you know, are long gone. My dad died in 2001. My mom died in uh, 2014. But they, you know, they put their doctors on a pedestal. And if it didn't come from the doctor, then it, it wasn't worthy, you know, even if we brought it up as family, because that's how they were raised. Now, the baby boomers, not so much. They're out there scrounging, you know, Google and trying to figure out what they can come up with. So that in itself is changing the landscape. But I think one of the biggest things that doctors and patients have to understand, and COVID has definitely brought this to light, that everybody is short-staffed. You know, they're on a tight leash. The time frames have, have gotten twisted even tighter. But I think people are getting used to, okay, so the doctor doesn't know, but can you just point me in the right direction? I mean, that's really what families are asking for right now. Just point me in the right direction where I have freedom to make choices for my family. So it's not just skewed by a certain organization or company that this is all I have. So this is all I'm going to tell you about, because there's a lot of that that goes on too. And that, that doesn't, that doesn't do the trick either. You know, none of us are going to have all the answers because things are constantly changing. And so much of the resources don't have to be in your own backyard anymore. Now, for your testing, for example, are you just in the U.S.? Or if someone, you know, we have an international audience, if someone's listening, you know, can they get this out of the country as well? Not at this point in time. We only operate in the United States. We do plan on expanding um, beyond the United States, but that's probably not going to be for a couple of years. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. But that's, you know, this still gives people out of the U.S. hope that something's coming, you know, down the pipeline. So that that's wonderful news in and of itself. Um, so, but, but I'm glad that, that I asked that question because I do get people asking after the, after the fact with that. If you are just tuning in right now, we have been talking with Frank Amato, who is the CEO and president of Synapsis DX, and they provide insights into Alzheimer's disease in the industry, and they've got a product called Discern that can provide an accurate Alzheimer's diagnosis, one that is not 
very invasive. And oh my gosh, you know, Frank's telling us you can get an answer on is it Alzheimer's or not in eight to 10 weeks. And I know most people that I talk to around the world say two to three years it's taking them to actually get a diagnosis. And again, this is just Alzheimer's specific, but if it's not that, it might be another dementia. You know, I mean, it can be anything from a urinary tract infection to delirium. It could be a vitamin deficiency, or like Frank said, it could be something, uh, you know, from a, from a bug bite or Lyme's disease. I mean, there's so many different things that, that dementia can mimic. Um, so again, if you're just, if you're just popping in right now, you're going to probably want to rewind just to learn a little bit more. Uh, you can always go to their website too, which is S Y N A P S D X.com. And you can find them on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram as well. Uh, now, Frank, I wanted to talk with you a little bit about, you know, are there some obstacles that you guys have faced with your with your company and the industry of dementia as a whole? Yeah, so, uh, Lori, I would just add one thing, and that is you could also get on the discerntest.com and, and find information there as well. Um, but yes, we have faced challenges. Uh, I think that the biggest challenge is that the industry has largely been focused on amyloid plaque and neurofibrillary tau tangles as the cause of the disease. And we've spent, I think last I read, upward of $40 billion on clinical trials over the past 30 years that have really largely amounted to zero help or effect for patients who are suffering with this terrible disease. Um, and there's this hypothesis that if you have plaque in your brain, you're going to get Alzheimer's disease. But there have been dozens of articles that have been published indicating that that's not necessarily the case. Um, in fact, there was one in, in the New England Journal of Medicine just last year where 330 centenarians had brains riddled with plaque and tau and had no cognitive deficit whatsoever. So, you know, the challenges for us is kind of a, a, a unique test out there that doesn't measure plaque and doesn't measure tau directly. Um, how could it possibly be worthwhile? Um, and few people look into the science and the industry has been largely focused on kind of these two proteins or hallmarks of the disease, both in measuring um, what's in a person's brain or in their blood. And then secondly, whether they can remove that. And even when they remove it, it's been pretty clear that um, in most cases, it doesn't really have an effect on the cognitive deficit that people are experiencing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, that has amazed me how that has been so prevalent, even though, like you said, there's been lots of studies that say, no, this isn't, this isn't accurate in every case. In fact, in a lot of cases. Um, there are people that have these plaques and tells and are, are perfectly fine and others that don't have them that are having issues. And uh, so it, it's nice to see something come out that is different, that's quick. Um, now, I'm assuming that your, your test discern is covered by uh, health insurance. So right now we're covered by Medicare. Okay. which, as you would imagine, is the majority of the population of folks who suffer from this illness. That's not to say that younger people wouldn't suffer as well. There's familial Alzheimer's, as you know all too well, which represents about 3% of the Alzheimer's population. And you can, have, you can be tested for certain genes there. But for the vast majority of the population, we, we, we are covered. Do you foresee any options coming? Because we do seem to be getting a lot more people with younger onset. And you know, one of one of their many complaints is a getting diagnosed because people, even the doctors, don't believe that they can get it. Um, two is testing, but just the financial burden because they're kind of in the donut hole of no, we don't cover you. You know, you're not the majority. Um, do you see anything like that changing, or 
you know, would your company, does it have a foundation to assist people that kind of fall in that donut hole? So right now there are, um, as I indicated earlier, these new uh, anti-amyloid therapies that are being sold in the United States. Um, so, you know, the problem is, is that not every aspect of getting the medicine is covered. So you might, you might get the medicine covered, but you don't get the infusion covered, or you might get the medicine covered, but you don't get the, you know, PET scan or the lumbar puncture covered. I'm not sure what all the coverage, you know, uh, issues are there, but, uh, but those are challenges for people. Um, we don't have a foundation at this point in time. Um, but as we, you know, uh, get to be a, a larger company, we can afford to offer free tests for a number of folks who, who come forward. We did, uh, as an initial kind of entry into the market, did offer the test free to about 350 people in Texas. Um, and that helped us learn. And it also helped folks, namely doctors, get experience using the product. Uh, but we do, um, we do check your insurance before you you get the test and we can tell you what we think your coverage might be and whether or not there might be a copay or some other aspect. Well, that that's always helpful. I appreciate that. My, my daughter, for example, they were looking at getting an MRI and, and uh, the kids thought, well, you know, it's covered under insurance. And then they, they couldn't give them an answer. And she's like, well, I need an answer. Oh, don't worry. We'll just bill you. She's like, no, I want to know before the before I go in, is this covered or not? And they still haven't gotten an answer, you know, from the clinic on it. It just doesn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense. But that stuff is important, especially in these economic times. And when you're dealing with dementia, people have lost a, an income stream. And so all of that stuff really, really adds up. It would be um, it would be wonderful, you know, if, if anyone is listening, and I don't know, maybe I'm speaking out of turn, um, but if somebody was listening and let's say wanted to um, offer up some money to cover um, some of that, is that something that you'd even be set up to be able to receive? We could, sure. We could take a grant um, as long as the grant is, you know, earmarked uh, for a specific purpose and we could manage that and get audited on that, et cetera. So, yeah, it's possible if someone was interested in, in covering a, a certain number of tests annually or monthly or whatever their desire was, that we could we could work very closely with them on that. Right now, if you're largely a Medicare patient, you're going to get covered. Well, again, I just, um, those, those younger people, um, they're much more verbal and they really would like help. And so... Actually, you know, if you if you want to gain some people on your side, that approach might not be a bad idea because it takes them forever to get diagnosed. And one of the things that they really get frustrated with is like, why can't anyone tell me why can't what why is this taking so long? So I don't know. I just throw my two cents out there <laughs> sometimes when I'm talking on this. And I wanted to just um, clarify too, you gave me another website. Was it discerntest.com? That, that is correct. Have you gotten pushback in the industry from, from some of those that, you know, kind of believe other theories? Because I know many times when I'm talking with clinical trials and stuff, they talk about the pushback if they're a smaller company and not a a mega pharmaceutical um, company, you know, that it, it gets a little tough and dicey sometimes. Have you run into that or have people been embracing what you're doing? Hi, everyone. This is Meredith from the Senior Fitness with Meredith podcast, where I discuss all things for seniors from fitness, your health and wellness journeys, how to be all over strong and beyond. I also have my mini podcast called Motivation with Meredith. It's a great, quick, motivational pick-me-up for your days. Join me. Listen now. Search for Senior Fitness with Meredith on your favorite podcast platform. No, we've, we've run into it from the larger um, foundations and organizations. Um, you know, they constantly tell us we need to bring in, you know, we need to do larger clinical trials and larger studies. I mean, we're the only 
product out there that is validated by autopsy. So in other words, we took a skin sample, we followed the patient out until the demise, and then we got a pathological report or had an autopsy done on them. They obviously consented to doing so. And in turn, they, um, you know, we were able to determine definitively whether they had, you know, not only Alzheimer's disease, but other comorbidities that you to get it earlier, like your mom who had, you know, Parkinsonism and Lewy body and, and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, having these larger organizations push back on a company that, you know, took us 10 years to complete our clinical trials, unlike anybody else, it, it can be quite daunting and just, you know, quote unquote unfair for the small guy who's really done great science here to, to get their product into the mainstream. Well, and like you said, to have have that compared to the autopsy, it's kind of like, hello. I mean, that's about as black and white as you can get it. Um, and and for years and years and years, you know, we've been told the only way to really know is is to is to die and get an autopsy. You know, and signing up for that game, you know, before they have to. <laughs> so yeah, I I it's it's just too bad. Um, there's so many different variables and so many. I, you know, I find it kind of exciting all of the the different angles that people are starting to approach this by, because uh, I don't think there's, I, you know, I don't, and again, what do I know? I'm not a medical professional, but I don't think there's going to be one, you know, set answer for all the dementias. I think it's going to kind of be like cancer and you treat breast cancer different than you treat colon cancer that you treat brain cancer, then lung cancer, um, you know, everything's going to have to be kind of personalized. And, um, and granted, there'll be some overlap. Uh, and, and that's, you know, the overlap I see more almost in terms of, I hate to even say therapy, because there's still not a ton of, of therapies. And most people think of, of drug, drug therapies, but social engagement type therapies, I think are amazing. And I, I personally think that's why my mom lived for 30 years was she felt purposeful and, and engaged. And, you know, we know that some of that can change the body chemistry as well versus someone who is really depressed and withdrawn and, and things. So I just think there's so much that we don't, that we don't know about this. Um, as far as the emergence of, of other, you know, Alzheimer's drugs and stuff, um, what do you think the impact is um, for, for those and for the need of an accurate diagnosis um, out there? I, I, again, I'll, I'll kind of paraphrase it. I hear from people all the time, why does my diagnosis keep changing? You know, in a less than probably 10 year period, I, I would say the average, if I just pull it out of the air, is seven years. If people are, are having their diagnosis changed three and sometimes four times out there and they're confused and they're frustrated and they're, they're, losing, um, they're losing respect for the medical practice of why it's so difficult and you know, how can I have Lewy body and now I have MCI and how come my symptoms haven't changed and I still can't work, but they're telling me it's no big deal. I'll, yeah, I'll... That's a, that is a big challenge. I think it goes to show you how, you know, varied the subjective diagnosis is by the clinician out there. And even if you go to a specialist, in some cases, they're challenged with trying to diagnose what's wrong with you. Um, I think that, you know, trying to find the diagnostics that are going to be the most important to your condition, you know, for example, if they tell you you have Lewy body or Parkinsonism, well, then you probably should have had a Sinoclean A test done uh, if you're if you think you might have Alzheimer's, you definitely should have a discern test on, in my opinion. Um, so, you know, there are probably, you know, a fair amount of education that has to go on for the, for the individual and your family, which is unfortunate, but that's just, to your point earlier, that's still the case here in the United States. At least we're moving into areas where we're starting to target different 
therapeutics that focus on inflammatory conditions or focus on the hippocampal metabolism or other uh, aspects to the disease other than just plaque and tau. So there's been a fair amount of small startup companies that are developing technologies that I hope will make a dent in, in the disease far greater than the last $40 billion in 25 years we've spent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's amazing the money that <laughs> is being spent and and really how little you know we've kind of moved on the on the racetrack in terms of all of this um but again you know there's i think there's plenty of hope i think people are living better lives than what they used to um and i think more people are open to having a conversation about it where i think gosh 20 years ago nobody even wanted to talk about it and and that was really difficult um for the for the person who was having the issue to the family members and and the doctors and, and communities at large so i think you know we're overcoming stigmas more um, we're changing the face of who can even get dementia as a whole and um, you know we're starting to see dementia friendly communities and memory cafes and uh, again, all different types of, of supports out there um, to help people be able to live, live well with the disease. And, and like I said, I'm all for early diagnosis. I think that it's, that it's important, but again, if, if you don't have the support, the only thing that it's really going to do is say, okay, I have this, but it's not going to tell you how to handle you know, this disease. And, uh, and I, I think that's where we really got to step up to the plate um, somehow and cross over these silos in, in work and collaboration to get tests like yours out to people, let them know that it's available, and then also connect them to the services, products, and tools. So as a family, they can at least research because they know the doctors and the social workers they just don't have the time, you know, to be able to do that research. And I really think most families are willing to do that. They just need to be, again, pointed in the in the right direction there. Um, Frank, I, I really appreciated your time with us. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that, that my audience should know about Synapsis DX and the DISCERN test? No, I think we covered just about everything. I would just state again that I think it's important to uh, have a cognitive assessment done at least once, if not twice a year, so you can track kind of your cognitive, you know, health and ability. Um, secondly, if you think you know you have dementia, or if the clinician is concerned about your cognitive deficit, then you should really look into trying to get the discern test. My team and I will do everything we can to help you get access to it. We'll even recommend physicians in your area who might be using the test. Um, if we can provide that information or we can, you know, help you uh, by, you know, educating your current physician, we're happy to do so. Just reach out to us and, and, you know, utilize our website, synapsedx.com or the discerntest.com as a way to get additional information. So other than that, Lori, thank you for the, for the time today. And I, um, I'm really thankful and uh, honored to be part of uh, be part of this discussion. Well, great. Well, then, in wrapping up, I hope our audience has found uh, our conversation about discern and how it can provide an accurate Alzheimer's diagnosis. I know I found this uh, very enlightening and hopeful, and I really appreciate uh, Frank Amato being with us, who is the CEO and president of Synapsis DX, uh, taking the time to tell us about this important tool. And uh, I think it'll help families hopefully get over some of that frustration of how difficult it is for people to get a formal and accurate diagnosis. And then as always, I ask my listeners to please be a giver of hope. Like, click and share this show. Help us spread the word you know, again, that's one of people's uh, most frustrating and difficult things to conquer is how do I how do I find services, products and tools? And so 
you know, costs you no money. It takes very little time to share this on Facebook or LinkedIn or, or Twitter, you know, or tell a neighbor or a friend. Don't keep information to yourself. We need to share it. That makes everybody's life a little bit easier. Plus, it shows you care. It helps break down stigmas and uh, lets people live with a little bit more comfort. Again, you can go to their website, which is synopsisdx.com. You can find Frank Amato on LinkedIn, uh, as well as SynopsisDX is on LinkedIn as well. They are also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And then again, you can go directly uh, to uh, discerntest.com to find more information about getting this test taken. So again, thank you so much, Frank. Appreciate your time with us today. Thank you, Lori. Have a great day. Thank you. So in wrapping up um, again, I'm just going to encourage you to go to alzheimerspeaks.com. Check out our free educational resources. You will be amazed at what all is there and you'll be able to get to Dementia Map, our global resource from that, as well as information on our book, Betty the Bald Chicken, Lessons in How to Care, which is great for kids, but it's great for any age. And actually, it's not dementia specific. It really is about getting us thinking, how do we want to be cared for? How do we treat others? and so forth. Um, So uh, until next week, we'll catch you later. Bye-bye. It's time to rethink, renew, and reimagine retirement. Hey, everybody. Jared Sebesta here, host of Retire Repurposed. Now, this podcast is about the non-financial parts of retirement, which many times can be even more challenging than the financial. We believe retirement is not the end, rather the beginning of what could be the most impactful, purposeful, and fulfilling season of a person's life. So don't retire become repurposed. To listen now, search Retire Repurpose on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio.